Hi, this is Jonathan Master calling. Hello, this is Garrett. I'm glad to finally connect with you. Thanks for making time. Glad to glad to talk to you. Make sure to keep listening after the program to find out how to receive a free MP3 download from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. We are delighted to welcome today the lead pastor of First Presbyterian Church of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He has a doctorate from RTS and an MDiv from Princeton Seminary. He's the author of eight books, including Jesus Ascended, The Meaning of Christ's Continuing Incarnation. And that's our topic today, The Ascension of Jesus Christ into Heaven. And our guest is Garrett Dawson. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here and always love to talk about the ascension of our Lord. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' disciples are recorded as seeing him ascend into heaven. And let me just start off with a broad question. Why is this event so important to remember and record? Well, I think that most of us don't think a lot about what happened to Jesus after his resurrection and ascension. We have what Douglas Farrell calls a drop-in theory of the Incarnation. Jesus, after walking around in a skin suit for a while, when he was finished with our redemption, decided that he would go to heaven and, in some sense, unzip his body of flesh and be free of, of who we are. But in fact, Scripture and the tradition of Christ's people have always asserted that Christ retained his humanity, that he went up in what John Knox calls the self-same body in which he was crucified and resurrected. So why does that matter? What difference does it make whether I'm aware of the fact that he is in the self-same body or, or, or not, or if he, as it were, as you said, sort of stripped it all off? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 3, that we are eagerly awaiting from heaven a Savior who will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. And John Calvin made a lot of this because he said what's promised there is that what Jesus has now is what we're going to have. So if Jesus doesn't have a body in heaven, we won't have bodies in heaven. But we long to be embodied. We were created to be uh, be sold bodies and embodied souls uh, and Scripture promises that we'll have an existence in heaven as people who are outfitted for a glorious embodied life. That's all dependent on the fact that the one who's gone before us, our head of the body, the Savior, is still incarnate, is still in flesh and blood, albeit glorified and outfitted for life in heaven. Right before Jesus ascends to heaven, he he prepares his disciples, it, it seems, for his ascension by assuring them that he is with them or he will be with them always. And and, and how does that uh, fit in with this notion of the fact that he is in heaven, in a body, and, and that's our hope to be embodied like him? That's a great question because it forces us to think like Trinitarians, people who understand that God is three persons in one God. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the great theologians has said that Jesus in heaven is now not everywhere present, but he is everywhere accessible. The way that Jesus is present with us is because he has sent his Holy Spirit to us 
to reside in our hearts and to relocate us spiritually into Christ. If you went on in your reading of Acts chapter 2 and the people are wondering what's happened, why were these tongues of fire and these other languages being spoken and God being glorified in all the languages of the people, Peter said that the Father has given the Spirit to the Son who's poured out what they're seeing and hearing. So the ascended Jesus who's taken our humanity up to the throne of God sends his Holy Spirit to join us to himself and keep us connected to him always. I want to move to a specifically exegetical question. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about Jesus' incarnation, and then and then he says that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he might fill all things. How, how do you read that? What do you understand Paul's meaning to be? How does the ascension fit into all that Paul's describing? It's really good because Ephesians 4 does talk about his, his ascending with uh, taking all of captivity captive. And you get the sense that here is Jesus rising up to heaven and he's bringing with us um, the people who've been captive to sin and now made free. People he's called and claimed who've trusted in him now being set free from the shackles of sin and death and following along in that great victor's train. I think in terms of the the filling of all things, uh, we realize that Jesus, while he is still fully human in heaven, is also fully divine. He's still the eternal Son of God who's, uh, through whom the Father created the universe. Uh, and the Church Fathers love to hold those things together, to think about Jesus on earth you know, being held in his mother's arms even as he holds the whole cosmos together. So in that sense, while Jesus retains his humanity, there's some part of his divinity that we understand does fill all things. But in general, that's through the fact that uh, through his Holy Spirit, he can be everywhere seen, known, and glorified. And that throughout the universe, the still incarnate Christ is glorified so that the whole triune God is being glorified through his work in his Son. And everywhere in the universe, his glory and praise is is resounding and redounding um, by what he's done on behalf of us. You mentioned earlier that this is something not many Christians think about very often, that they, they, don't, um, they don't actually talk about the ascension into heaven. They think about other aspects of Christ's ministry. I'm wondering if you could talk personally about what it was that sort of got you interested in the um, ascension of, of Jesus Christ. What was it that, that made this such a special area of interest for you? Well, I, like most other Christians, had not thought about it a whole lot. I figured Jesus just dropped his skin suit and became a spirit again. But one day during seminary, I was thinking about this and asked my professor, so is it true that that Jesus continues to be human? And uh, Dr. Willis replied to me, well, the church has always taught that the hypostatic union endures forever. And I said, oh, I didn't even know what he was talking about until I thought about it at home, I looked up hypostatic union means the joining of God and humanity, the the one being uh, that happened in the incarnation, and that that goes on. And it shocked me right then uh, as a young seminary student. I thought, this is amazing that God loves us so much that he wants to stay wedded to us. And I began to feel this overwhelming sense of God's great tenderness towards the people he created in his image. He's not wedded forever to any other aspect of creation, but to us. 
I thought, how much must he love us that he would stay so so close to us? Uh, though it was not uh, for years later uh, that I realized I really wanted to write more about that and explore just what it means that he loves us enough to stay so enfleshed. So was that really what drew you to it, was this notion of God's display of his love in, in Jesus' continuing incarnation? That was really sort of what what won your your head and your heart over to studying this doctrine? I think that's true, Jonathan. Uh, the incarnation has always drawn me in itself. We know that it was through the cross that Christ took away our sins, but the cross only worked because the man on the cross was fully a man and fully God. It was only through the active obedience of his incarnate life on our behalf, showing faithfulness to the Father on our behalf, in our skin, obeying the law, only by being, as a human being, the, the fully obedient, spotless lamb, that his death on the cross could take away our sins. So for a long time, I was fascinated with the fact that the cross of Christ works because Jesus is the incarnate one. But then to consider that that incarnation continues shows such a marvelous love and really ardor and affection for us that he really wants to be like us and wants us to be like him in a future glorified state. You've written this book, Jesus Ascended, The Meaning of Christ's Continuing Incarnation, and, and we want to commend that to our listeners. But I'm wondering if you could recommend any other books or sources. Are there particular authors that have really helped you in your understanding of this and your appreciation of its importance for our spiritual life? Well, sure. John Calvin was a great theologian of the Ascension and in particular talked about how much the continuing incarnation means to our understanding of the Lord's Supper. So I would send people to his institutes, uh, to Book 2, Chapter 16, on the work of the Redeemer, and also to Book 4 on the Sacrament of the Lord's Supper itself. Uh, I would send people to Thomas Torrance's uh, great work, Space, Time, and Resurrection, that really looks at the physics of the Ascension and what it means about God's uh, relationality as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you want a small book on the Ascension, there's one called The Ascension, Humanity in the Presence of God by Tim Chester and Johnny Woodrow, which summarizes a lot of things that I've written in, in a very clear and accessible form. Can you repeat that last title again? I'm not sure I caught it. What was the last title, the, the, the Tim Chester book? Sure, it's called The Ascension, Humanity in the Presence of God by Tim Chester and Johnny Woodrow. Well, thank you very much for those recommendations. And, and Dr. Dawson, thank you for giving us your time today. Uh, this has been really helpful, and, uh, and we appreciate it very much. Sure. If I could just add one more minute. Yes, please. That, that came to me. I was thinking about the implications of the Ascension for our lives today and realizing that because Jesus has stayed wedded to our humanity, it tells us how much he loves the creatures that he has made and how much he loves this world that he has made. And that actually gives the church its understanding of mission. Because we don't say this world doesn't matter, Jesus is just a spirit, but because Jesus has stayed wedded to our flesh, we realize it's these children who are suffering that he loves. It's these broken marriages that he wants fixed. It's these impoverished people he sends the church to. It's these lost people he sends us out to save. The ascension of Jesus doesn't actually remove the church from its mission in the world. It defines our mission in the world. And so it's really, really practical for us.
No, thank you for adding that. That that is very helpful and gives me, I know, a lot to to chew on. And and again, Dr. Dawson, we really appreciate your time with us today. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Theology on the Go, a podcast of placefortruth.org. Place for Truth wishes to be thoughtful and accessible and is based on the conviction that the gains of the Protestant Reformation retain their potency and ought to be maintained for the health of Christ's Church. Just for listening, we'd like to equip you with free resources. Visit placefortruth.org to find a link to those resources. And listen next time to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth.